Hi everyone, this is episode 16 of the Get In My Garden podcast, and I'm Aaron Moskowitz, your host. Today is the spring episode with Carol and Don of White Duck Farm. Carol is hilarious and has a lot of fun gardening, farming, and experimenting. She loves to learn about sustainability and biodynamic farming. We cover a lot of subjects over coffee in their garden and humorously chat about their wonderful farm and how things are moving along this spring. Each year is different, and Carol shares about her farmer's market strategy this year to set herself apart from the other market gardeners. We spend about half our time talking about her birds, the chickens, the ducks, the geese, the peacocks, and the guineas. Then we talk about various subjects from, for instance, incubating her birds' eggs and fostering good chicks and goat kidding season, how they will set up their new beehives, growing flowers to sell at market, toxin-free insect management, creating effective products out of herbs and locally gathered ingredients, expanding into growing mushrooms, and we even revisit canna lilies as a landscape plant. As a passionate and curious biodynamic farmer and gardener, Carol is constantly adapting to change and listening to the farm to maintain balance. We end the interview with a discussion about hoop houses and how this simple technology changed everything for four-season farming. Okay, everything that's happening on the farm. It is springtime, and soon all of the male animals are going crazy. The peacock is in the front garden because the turkeys are in the poultry yard and they've been chasing him around. We had three male turkeys, then we butchered two, and then I went out there and then and there were was... three male turkeys again. And I was <laughs> what? like, where the hell did they come Maybe from? Maybe it's the turkeys that went down to the bosky. They the, kind of- The turkeys that went down to the bosky. Have and then be. we had <gasps> three female turkey hens and, and only one of them left. now there's only one. Maybe they were like, well, now there's space for us. Maybe so. Yeah, I don't know. So all the males, the roosters are going crazy. The chickens are laying tons of eggs. We've got broody hens that are sitting on nests. There's a goose nest that's probably got 25 eggs in it. She's sitting on a mountain. <laughs> you know, she's like up on the top egg and then there's all it's that. It's like a hundred underneath yeah. her. The guineas are running all over the place and I found a guinea egg in the goat yard. I mean, you know, they're dropping eggs. They're <laughs> The boys are trying to have sex with everybody, including the hoop house and the walls and the trees. And... So it's pandemonium. It's pandemonium. <laughs> Meanwhile, in the earth... You know, the little seeds are like, mm, I feel warm, I feel sun. And then I put water on them and they go, oh, oh that felt so good. <laughs> <laughs> so they start sprinkling up and um, then the peacocks go, oh, look at all this greenery. Let's eat all your greens. All your fresh <laughs> things that you're going to try they to sell. so good, yeah. And then um, the, the things that have been growing, they're like, Oh, it's time to make flowers and seeds. So everything that's been up is blooming and bolting and you can't eat it anymore because it's too bitter. But the the emus love bolted greens, so everything gets used. That's awesome. Yeah, everything. It is awesome. Just yesterday I heard someone say, spring is in the air. And then they were talking about all the dating they were yeah the pheromones <laughs> in the air <laughs> you do hear that expression i don't know the, that's the awesome animals are definitely yep. showing that the goats should be kidding at the end of this month and or the end you're of you're kidding April. Mm. you should come for that 
that's amazing. Mm. That's thing. really amazing. That sounds a little scary for someone like me, but maybe it's worth oh, coming no. to. My friend Sam said the same thing. He said, I'll watch, but from a distance. He came out for a couple of days last wow. year. Wow. And by the end, he was right down in there. Right. Yeah. You just okay. help yourself. It's fast. Sounds really it's wonderful. That, I'll come out for that. I'll that call sounds you. fun and interesting. I was a doula. A doula. Oh, the, is that the like a midwife? Well, it's not a midwife. It's not medical. It's more support for women in labor. So, you know, research has found that women who are laboring with a doula have better responses and are more able to sustain a late drug free labor. So you're like a human emotional support animal. Yeah, I am. And so so I was a doula for quite a few years, so which was great because I got to see a lot of births. Wow. And a goat birth is not all that different from a human birth. <laughs> I have pulled babies now, goat babies, and you know, dried them off and swung them around to get them breathing and gotten them attached to their mom's teeth. And wow. it's been, yeah, and it's pretty much kind of like doing a human baby, you know. It's amazing, and it's so, it's so sweet. And then right? all of a sudden, here it is, and it's a being. Right, I know. Babies are coming. I have probably 100 eggs in the incubator. Last year, my Muscovy duck, she hatched out 13 babies, which are really, really adorable and sweet. She has these huge web feet, as big as my hands. She stepped on all of them and killed them. Yes, you said that. That's, yeah. That's insane. So this year, I'm keeping the babies until they're big enough to follow after her and not to be squished. But I have She'll a lot. She'll be happy about that. I hope so. I hope she's not mad at me for taking her egg every day. She And every morning she gets up, she spends a night in, in the duck house, and then in the morning she scurries over to the place where she likes to lay her egg. She lays her egg, and then she gets up and wanders around the rest of the day. But she has this, like, beeline for her nesting spot. And, you know, birds, they go back to their spots to nest year after year. And that was where she nested last year. Do you, at what point do you get it away from her? You grab it away and then she goes back to her and she's like, damn it, what happened to my egg again? <laughs> I wait until she leaves because she'll peck my hand. Oh. She would peck my hand. And I'll tell you, chickens, when they have their babies, they will fly right at your eyes if you get too close to them. I mean, they're like killer animals, killer birds. So. Well, my first interaction with an animal was when I was four and my, my finger got bitten by a goose at the beach, a Canadian goose. Yeah, I yeah. hear they're pretty aggressive. They are really aggressive. Mm -hmm. I guess a lot of birds might be. Well, and then our ganders are pretty nice most of the time, except for when the females are sitting on their nests. And then they get really protective. And then when, and I don't know if I said this last time, but when a baby goose is, is hatched out, the entire flock raises it. Yeah, it's, that's so cool. It's so amazing. It takes a village. And, you know, if we would raise our children like geese raise their goslings, this would be a much better world. Our children would get eaten. <laughs> Thanksgiving with the baby. Um, yeah, so what else is going on? We ha are irrigating today. It's our first yeah, day that's... of water. It is so dry, and we, snowpack is like minuscule, right? Non existent, practically. And... It's going to be interesting because our winter was just so warm. Mm -hmm. and But who knows? Maybe we'll have a humongous monsoon. Yeah, yeah. 
let's see what else is going on spring we've got the incubator going we patched out our we're on our third clutch and so we should have eggs babies hatching out on tuesday so what do you, what's the process so you hatch them out then they're in there and then i mean are you the process is you collect the eggs you, you put them in the incubator at like 99 degrees or 98.5 degrees the chicken eggs take 21 days, and you you have to turn the eggs. You have to a hen will turn her eggs hundreds, literally hundreds of times a day because she just really moves, you know, moves around in the nest. Oh. We have to turn them, otherwise the, the embryo will stick to the side of the egg. In New Mexico, it's so dry. Wait, how do you turn them? Do you have to individually turn them, or yeah, is it like a? Yeah, I just a, put my hand in and I roll them around. Like, I pictured one of those rollers that they have for hot dogs. <laughs> they just they do very have slowly. Those. They do have something like that. And I chirped to them. There was that movie about the man who was a turkey, and he talked to his turkeys when they were in the egg, and then when they hatched out, they followed him around like his children, and he perched with them on their their perches at night and. They, until they were fully grown, they stayed with him. So I did an experiment, and I chirped to my eggs. And so the first batch, I chirp, 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 chirp. Every time I turn the eggs, I chirp to them. Those are the hen, the little birds that you saw. The really good batch. The really good batch. And they were so calm when they hatched out. That's and, brilliant. And I chirped to them, and they would answer me, and it was just so sweet. Then the next batch, I thought, this is scientific research, right? <laughs> I did not chirp to them. And they're just like all over the place, crazy flying, you know, every time I got near them. <laughs> now this batch I'm chirping to again. But it'll be interesting because I have duck and goose eggs in there. And we'll see if they respond to my chirp, chirp, chirp. That will be interesting. That and maybe is they'll not have a, a kinship. duck sound. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and the duck eggs that are in there, those are Muscovies and, or Muscovies. I don't know how people say that. But anyway, they don't quack. They hiss. So I should probably be going sss to the Muscovies. <laughs> Just don't do that around your chicken eggs. <laughs> yeah, yeah. They'll be very confused. They'll really be confused. But anyway, so that's always really fun. And then in uh, January, you know, I got a wild hair and I planted all those tomato seeds. And now Oh, I thought you meant an actual a wild hair. A rabbit. Yeah, ra rabbit. <laughs> <laughs> no, I just, you know, January is so long and so dark. And so, and Don got me a whole bunch of these glow lights. And this is the female. See how she's oh. green on the neck? Yeah. And the I male the... is blue. Okay, so the... Why is the male peacock so colorful? To impress the females. Yeah, that's what it's all about. It's all, Why about, they it's all about sex. See? Why they develop that, I don't know. He's but pretty impressive. Mm -hmm. Yeah, he's a handsome boy. Next, this is the way Billy Bob, the one up there, was when we first got it. How long does it take to get those huge feathers? <laughs> one year. One year. And or they all get those? Two well, he's years. Two, he's two years old. He's two years old. Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. And he had, he had a little tail toward the end of the first year. Uh -huh. But wow. Yeah, and it, it seems just, like they just exploded. Yeah. Wow. You know, we bring in bees from, right now, We're bring, this year we're getting our bees from Missouri. So what does that mean? You're buying the actual bees or are you getting just a queen? And No, we get, we're going to get a package of bees. It's three pounds of bees and a queen. And then you put them in a hive and seal up the hive so they get food in there and you have drawn comb and food. 
and then you put the bees and the queen in there and you seal it up and they get acclimated to that spot then eventually within a few days you can, can let them out and hopefully they'll stay sometimes they abscond they don't like the environment well so do they know each other already yeah they've been in a package together <laughs> so the queen and and so what they do is they put a queen cage they hang it in and she has her court and so there's a little package of the queen in her court and they hang it inside with this little package of a little screen box full of honeybees so the bees all know her and then they feed her through the screen in her own little package amazing so they're working even when they're on the road yeah oh yeah and they're taking care of, they're always taking care of the queen they're grooming her and feeding her and Wow. Yeah, and, and she's, meanwhile, she's sending off pheromones so that when they um, get into their hive, they're going to recognize her as the mother, wow. the mother of all. What I found on Facebook is that the beekeepers are so passionate. There's so many people beekeeping now. You know, all these stores, and, you know, I, love, I go to Tractor Supply. I love them, and I go to Big R. But there's so many stores, and it just drives me crazy because in one aisle you buy, you can buy Roundup, Ugh. and in the next aisle you can buy beekeeping equipment. Now, mm -hmm. that's just crazy. They should not be selling that. That stuff is toxic. It's, like, been forbidden in Europe know, already, so we should not be selling that. I think everybody who's listening is going to believe that, I mean, they don't even need to be convinced. That is just so dangerous. It's horrible toxic it doesn't make any sense and it's not just the honey the honeybees but all the pollinators and then the i heard the mosquitoes are getting killed off too like just these little tiny bugs which we absolutely need for the ecosystem mm -hmm. so they were testing all these like birds in the mid midwest mm -hmm. and the birds are starving because they don't have enough bugs there's so many things that you can do to prevent insects you know you put a pot of marigolds by your door and that helps prevent insects coming in your house there's companion planting. There's a lot of different things you can do. And like when I have aphids in the hoop house, then I spray my plants with Dr. Bronner's and water. That's super simple soap. Super simple soap. And they can't live in that. Actually, there's a lady who calls herself the beneficial insect lady, I think. And she, I'm going to try to get her on the podcast. But even the beneficial insects, they're finding a lot of them are infected with different pathogens or parasites. So like you can order beneficial insects but your ladybugs they might carry something that can infect local ladybugs so oh, it's kind of tough bad. to decide what to do sometimes Wait. so i guess having birds seems like one of the best well and that's why we got the guineas last year and they have been, <laughs> they're very noisy as you may have noticed but they are incredible insectivores so last year was the first year that i actually really had a garden because those guineas were on patrol they ate the grasshoppers, they ate the squash bugs, and they ate the harlequin bugs. They were so great. We called them the general and Michelle. It's perfect because you got to <laughs> get them at their, you know, stop the life cycle because they eat so quick, right? Yeah. They'll just keep reproducing. Oh, yeah. Oh, my God. The grasshoppers. And then the guineas also, they give you eggs. So That's know. great. Yeah, they're really. And those beautiful feathers. And they're for all the fly fish out and feathers. I mean, who, who would have ever thought? So no. you've been experimenting for years since you came out here, mm -hmm. and each year is a little bit different. So mm -hmm. anything that you're specifically trying out new this year? 
or well, excited about? So the farmer's market, you know, I'm really involved with the farmer's market. And people grow amazing cucumbers and squash. And, you know, why do, in my little garden, why do I even bother with that? So I'm really trying to grow things that other people don't have. Yes. Hey, what an idea. So this year I've got some castor beans plants and some datura. Datura. Uh-huh. I was thinking about maybe, you know, doing a lot of medicinal plants and maybe just having a medicine me- medicine plant table. That sounds great. Then the other thing is I love zinnias and the honeybees love zinnias. And I'm going to just plant a ton of zinnias, do cut flowers, and then a lot of calendula because it's an incredible healing herb. The other thing, speaking of, you know, the gifts from Mother Nature... I make this thing called um, Bueno Para Todos. It's an old curandera formula, and it's made out of trementina, which comes from our trees, our pinyon trees. Mm-hmm. And it's the sap from the pinyon tree, and I mix it with olive oil and, and beeswax that we get from our bees. And I was up in the forest, and I was thinking, now how do those curanderas know that this trementina which has been found scientifically documented to be antimicrobial. And, you know, Michael Moore, not the movie maker, but the herbologist, did a lot of research on it. Well, you know, when a pinyon tree has a wound, what does it do? Like sap, covers it, it up. Sap, heals itself. Mm-hmm. And I went, oh, of course. They, they just looked at the natural world. Yes, it makes perfect sense. And it makes, suddenly it does. It makes perfect sense. You're out in the woods and you need, you've got Or you need to have your arm stop bleeding. You put the sap on it and it's sealed up. Or you have a big splinter. Or your dog steps on a burr. Or you want to prevent your enemy from seeing. You cover their eyes. (laughs) They'll never get them open. (laughs) But anyway, you know, I think that, I I really, for me, that's, that's really. That's the, that's where you're headed, sounds like. Yeah. I don't use antibiotic cream anymore. Oh, wow. And, you know, working around here, I get cuts all the time and never get infected. If they get infected at all, I put that stuff on within a day or two. If it heals up faster, just no problem. That's awesome. So Antibiotic cream can take forever and still not heal. This stuff. So that's called Buena para Toro. Yeah, and how much so everything. That makes sense. So mm-hmm. what what is your capacity of this product? Because I know that... You're going to have some very popular products this year, and you're going to be making, probably going to run out repeatedly, and you're going to be working a lot on that. So, because people are going to come and find you on Etsy, they're going to find you at the market, they're going to contact me to get in touch with you. How much of that stuff do you make? So maybe When I run out, I make more. Do you think you can start selling it on Etsy? The Etsy, I can sell the Bueno. Oh, that's yeah, that's our ex- exciting thing that we're oh, trying okay. this year. We're growing shiitake mushrooms. Excellent. Is that growing on wood? Yeah, and we got, what is it? can't remember, mushroom perfectus or something like that. They're from your part of the country. Oh, did you get them from Olympia? His name is Stamets, Paul huh. Stamets. I don't know. And he believes that mushrooms and mycelium will save the world. You know, he's done all this experiments right. where mushrooms clean up toxic waste sites and stuff. Oh, I so, love it. And I heard, I mean, I know for sure because I tried that like lion's mane, mm-hmm. this amazing, beautiful mushroom. That's what, the orange one, right? It's white. Oh, no. And it's it's like this furry looking thing, like a lion's mane. Mm-hmm. And they make supplements out of it. It goes, it's insane what it does for the human mind. 
Oh. It's like an anti-Alzheimer's. It does all this great stuff. Hmm. Anyway. Yeah. That would be a great medicinal mushroom. Yes, for you I to should grow. try. Uh, anyway, uh, this is our first foray into that because it's so dry here. But they do grow up in the mountains, so we, we inoculated these elm branches, big elm logs. He sends you a little dowel, and then you drill into the th- wood, then you put in the dowel, then you cover it with beeswax to seal the mycelium in there, and then you, we've been soaking it in acacia water. It's a long process. I will, probably won't get mushrooms until next year. That's amazing. But, yeah, very I'm excited. very excited about that. Now I want to, well, we'll see how these do, but I do want to try. Oh, the, I want to try the lion's mane. That's a great idea. So it seemed like in the last few years, some of the really smart farmers, and I tell people that it seems like 90% of the people are just kind of in New Mexico, and this may not be the case elsewhere. They're not thinking so smartly about their crops and when they're going to have crops to sell. But the 10% that are, they're thinking very strategically and they're coming up with really clever crops to grow and sell that do really special things. And mushrooms were that special thing. Mm -hmm. It was hard to get local mushrooms at one point and now they aren't that hard to get. But I think the medicinal mushrooms are still really hard to get. That would be really special. Yeah, it'd be really fun. It's always fun to grow something new, and that's why, you know, growing new colors of cannel lilies would be very fun. Yes. Yeah, it's fun to grow something new. And to me, the thing about farming that's so interesting is that you come into farming with your own agenda, and then the farm takes your agenda, throws it out the window, and says, this is how you're going to do things. And I never, I mean, there's so many things that I'm doing that I never really expected to be doing what's one really solid example well the, like the mushrooms i oh, never okay. i never it never even occurred to me well so the farm you know the farm says it's a drought year and everyone has zucchini at the market what are you gonna you know what are you gonna do so and then i get 12 million farm catalogs and i go oh my god i could i'd like <laughs> to try that and you know i got ginger I was reading about ginger, and I don't know if I'll ever be able to grow it as a, you know, commodity crop, but I got it at organic ginger. I soaked, I read about it, I soaked it, and then I'm starting little pots of ginger. That's what I love. Not things that I had ever planned to do. But you're very, I love it. You're so experimental, and because some people, they're just not taking the initiative. They're not as curious. Yeah, it's a curiosity and a, a low tolerance for boredom. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, you That's have to great. keep trying things. I think this flower garden is a perfect example. I've changed it about 12 times. It's still not the way I want it. Because so, everybody eats it. Yeah, uh, chickens. We don't want to put fences around it because well, that's not the point of this one because mm-hmm. you're inside the kitchen you want to look out. But everybody eats everything. So they would probably, if you had canna lilies there, they would go right after those delicious leaves, right? Yes, yeah, so they're going to go. They'll go in here. And we can. We have plenty of room. Because I have now... She said, what colors do you like? And I said, well, I'm really interested in the orange colors. So she sent me the Cleopatra, which is that hybrid, unstable variety where you don't know the yellows and the reds in between all the different varieties with spots and stripes and whatnot. And then the King Hubbard, orange King Hubbard, which is like a mid-size. So I think it's like five feet tall. And then she sent me this one that has variegated striped leaves, three colors, and it goes eight feet tall. It'll be really fun. Exciting, and every day you go out and the pictures change. Mm-hmm. Those grow so fast. Yeah. I'm a city slicker. I just happen to love the farmer's market, and mm-hmm. I had such a fun experience being involved in it in many ways. And I've met so many great people. 
but the trend obviously is smaller spaces. Hoop houses are a technology that people, I call it a technology. It's a simple thing, right? Mm -hmm. But it changes everything. Mm -hmm. So how hard is it to get a hoop house up? How expensive is it? Okay, well... And what do they do? Okay. That one was a kit. Oh, okay. And by the time we were done, it was around 750. 750, and how yeah. much square footage would you say? 25 by 10 or 12. This one is a flat, is a little bit bigger than that, not a whole lot. Uh huh. And we made the whole thing. Yeah. And that one caught, came in at, at a little under five. One hoop house would be enough to f feed, feed like we, 20 we, people. Yeah, we eat greens all winter. And sell greens and start sprouts. And I mean, if you had, well, you do have shelves in there, don't you? Yeah. So, I mean, that's, that could be just like an entire business. One hoop house. Yes. $500. Yes. And someone can create a business, any sort of farm business in there right. that has plants. All year round. The thing about hoop houses that is so wonderful, and you have you do have to use the right kind of plastic, but it creates a microclimate. Mm -hmm. And what happens during the day, like in the winter, it'll be eighty degrees in there, even on the coldest day. So then the soil never, ever, ever, the ever. Soil never freezes, and then not only that, but the soil gets hot, and so it continues to radiate during the night. So if you cover it with a little piece of cloth, like a row cover, you ha you you know that's why. I, I have tomato plants in there now. Wait, so you do cover it still with like a blanket? I have, it's called row cover and it's it's probably a some sort of synthetic substance. So in the very coldest weather, they're inside the hoop house, but then they're in the ground. The ground is warm and then to help maintain the warmth in the ground, I'll put something called row cover over oh, it. Oh, inside. Inside the hoop I house. See. And that keeps, it makes a smaller space to contain the warmth. And, and what would happen if you didn't do that? Because, I mean, they've got a lot of radiant heat and uh, some passive heat in the ground. Right. And you, would it still, do you think it would still not freeze or might it? Well, um, there are plants that sus can sustain that freeze, like all of the, the brassicas. Right. You know, kale, the kale, mustard. This is, this is my, you know, my special blend. Mustard, arugula, cilantro, kale, and spinach. I plant that all together in a row, and it'll grow all winter. And if it freezes, it's got antifreeze in it. I don't know what it is, but it will freeze. The plants will freeze, and then they, during the warmth, then they rejuvenate. They're resurrected. <laughs> nice. Good thing for Easter, right? But, yeah, some plants can sustain that freeze. Now, if they're really tiny, like just little sprouts, they won't. But if they're, you know, if they're a good-sized plant, like eating size, they can sustain a freeze and come right back okay. and still be delicious. And if you're dealing with something that's a rhizome or something that's slightly deeper in the soil than that? It will probably be dormant. I see. But it's still, in my mind, a whole lot easier if you have a hoop house and you're dealing with plants that are like climate zone 8 and here we are in a 6, right? Right. So that, what is that, like 20 degree difference or something? Well, I'm not sure about that, but... Um, but that could be a lot easier than having to dig everything up. You don't know what's going on below the surface of the ground. So with a rhizome, it is sending out roots all winter long. And then the other thing I think that you have to think about is the number of hours of daylight, because plants are very sensitive to that. So I had a plant that was only about three inches tall, and I, I had had the lights on 
you know, like 10 hours a day for a while. And then I guess I forgot for a week or something. And that little plant, which should have been like eight feet tall before it did that, went to seed. And it was only this tall. You know, they're very, there's a reason why things grow in the summer. Mm-hmm. Besides the heat, it's the amount of daylight. Same thing with the chickens. The chickens don't lay eggs until there's like 10 to 14 hours. Well, really, they like 14 hours of daylight. Interesting. So yeah. with that hoop house that gets to be 80 degrees in the coldest days because of the sun, what happens in the summer? I mean, roll up the sides. Oh, okay. So you have to, the plastic up. has to be removed. Yeah, you can remove, you. well, we don't remove it. Yeah, but rolling it. You yeah, can roll, roll it. And then uh, some things I don't, but like you can leave tomatoes in a hoop house all, all summer. They uh-huh. love the heat. Mm-hmm. That makes sense. It's just I mean, really that's the fertilizer. Yeah. In the really old good. days, I'm sorry. No, go. In the old days, people always did many things on their farm. And what the um, biodynamic farmers say is that the farm is a living organism. You you, you know yeah. this. And that the farm should provide everything for itself. And you can't do that just by growing corn. Right. You have to have animals. You have to have variety of plants it sounds like you've but you as a passionate curious gardener and farmer you've created a more broad farm. lots lots of different things i think more than anyone that i've met oh well maybe they're saner than we are <laughs> <Saner>. <laughs> remember i was a dancer for 25 years so so now you're dancing around the farm I'm dancing. thanks for listening Please subscribe to the Get In My Garden podcast on iTunes and leave positive reviews if you like the show. Visit getinmygarden.com to see show notes, Instagram photos, or to reach me directly with feedback and ideas. My contact info is at the top of the website. If you'd like to learn about what products are currently available from White Duck Farm, you can call them directly at 575-421-0100. Lastly, It's not too late to buy canna lilies. I'm planning to grow approximately 18 varieties this year using the goat poop soil from White Duck Farm, and you can learn more about canna lilies in episode 12, where I interview the owner of Horn Canna Farm. This insanely impressive plant is related to the banana plant, has similarly dramatic leaves and amazing flowers. Give them a call at 800-365-5528 and let them know you heard about them on the podcast. Catch you later.